learning so much from this church in Corinth. This church in Corinth, very uh, wealthy people in this town of Corinth. Um, they're called Corinthians. And so you have kind of a huge different group in this church. Some were from the cults. Some were from Judaism. They're all mashed together. And then we've been walking through the different struggles that this church has had. But now Paul starts talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you are a Christian, the Bible says that you have been given at least one gift by God, and that gift is to be used for serving the church, for serving the church, for edifying the church. And so we've gone through multiple gifts, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and the question is, have some of the gifts stopped, or have all of the gifts stopped, or are there even more gifts that we don't know about? So to demonstrate this, I need five kids Five kids that are going to come on stage. Now, you don't have to actually say anything or do anything, but raise your hand if you want to come on stage. I need five. Okay, so we got one. We got two. Three. Anybody? Okay, so I got a girl. All right, go up there. I got a girl. I got two boys. I got to, you know, got to be all. All right. Right here, four. So four. So we, oh, we need another girl. All right. Who, who else could we get? Pick a girl for me. But they have to have their hand raised. Jojo, come on up. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Wherever I place you, that's where you're going to stand, okay? Jojo, I want you to stand right here. Okay, so you're just going to be right there. Don't move. Okay, you're right here. Aiden, you're going to be right, well, you, you're going to be right in the middle. Stand right behind the pulpit. Caleb, okay. And then way down here. Okay, so these five represent uh, maybe your view on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? So what we're going to do is I'm going to assign them kind of a, an idea or uh, some people would fall into this certain camp in regards to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So right here, the gift is... There are no gifts are for today. They, get, they have all ceased. There's zero gifts. Zero gifts. Now, if you're out here in the congregation, you might say, okay, that's me. I've been taught that, that the gifts are not for today. The gifts are not for today. Zip, zero, zero. Okay? Now, we got another group here that believe that some of the gifts are for today and some of the gifts are not for today. Some of them have ceased okay some of them have ceased and usually this person believes that the more miraculous type gifts have stopped have stopped now it depends on what your definition of miraculous is because if you think miraculous is anything from God or then you could say well it's miraculous that we're all breathing so we're talking about miraculous as in Things that don't normally happen are happening, okay? So that is that camp. Now this camp right here is, believes that the gifts are for today. No more gifts, no less gifts. Any gift that we see in scripture, this group believes that the gifts are for today and they should only be used in the way that you see them in scripture. This group believes that 
all the gifts are for today, plus a little bit more that maybe we don't see in Scripture, but they say, you know what, experientially, I see the way that this gift works. And so even though we don't see it in Scripture, I think that this, this gift actually works a little bit beyond what we see in Scripture. And the last one is, man, it is the Wild West of gifts. There are so many gifts for today, and then there's these gifts that are crazy. I mean, people are barking like dogs for the Holy Spirit. People have uncontrollable laughter of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it is everything goes, and they just attribute it all to the Holy Spirit, okay? So these are kind of the five different camps that you would find in the church, and maybe every one of you could fall into one of these five. Maybe you're still one of those people that says, you know what, I actually don't really know. Rusty, I just, I want you to keep trying to prove to me that the gifts are what they are in Scripture. And that's what we're going to continue to do, okay? So that is the five different views of the gifts. All right, give our awesome kids a round of applause. Thank you. All right, go sit down. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, you guys can all see Bethany for candy after. Bethany, do we have any candy? We need candy. Okay, as a side note, parents, listen, I'm all for candy, you know. Back in the day when um, I was at our old church, uh, we would go to Sunday night, and I wasn't preaching, but all the pastors had to go there. And so I would always have, uh, if I was spiritual, I would have had lifesavers. But here's the thing is I had Neckos, and so all my kids, and I was sitting at that pew, and I would just be passing out the candy. Because church and candy, I mean, it goes well together. And I can tell you, every grandma in here recognizes that. Everybody knows. Church and candy. So as a side note, I like candy. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at why. We're not going to really get into the details of why each of them are what they are. But we're going to try to see, and I'm going to try to prove to you why this one, this person that was standing right here, is what is taught in Scripture. What's taught in Scripture. I... I I'm not going to try to prove that they're all gone, but I'm certainly not going to prove that there's all these crazy gifts over today. I'm going to try to stay right here, and I believe that the Bible teaches that all gifts are for today in the way that we see them in Scripture, in the context that we see them in Scripture, for the body, for the body. So, if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through 1 Corinthians 13... And we're going to figure out what is Paul saying. Now, this is the love chapter. This is the, what you hear at marriage, uh, marriages all the time. Love is patient. Love is kind. But it's, it's smack in the middle of this chaotic church. All this crazy stuff is happening. The gifts are being used in just different ways. And Paul is saying this. Listen, yes, there's these amazing gifts. Chapter 12. He's going to explain how they work better in 14. And then right in between there, he says this. But... Love, love, love. So let's look at why, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God instructed Paul to write this chapter of love. Here we go. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay, and verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries, 
and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. So what Paul is saying is, listen, church, it is about love. Whatever gift that you have, if you aren't using that gift undergirded with love, it's nothing. So your motivation in using your gifts should be love, love, love. No matter what gift that you have, it should be love. Remember, the gifts are for the betterment of the body. They're not to puff us up, but they're to build us up. And so we know that if we love people when we use our gifts, that is going to build them up. So the question should be, okay, but Rusty, then give me the definition of love. Because if you're saying, if I use these spiritual gifts but I don't have love, that's a bad thing. Then what is the definition of love? Well, the beautiful thing is that's what Paul did, is that he gives us a deeper look at that word love in the way that he is using it. So look at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So, love. Now, here's the thing. So often, we are so good at remembering that love is patient, love is kind. But I want us to never forget verse 6. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. So as a little side sermon, remember that. When someone says, and they're trying to get you to accept their sinful lifestyle, they say, you know what, you should just love me. And you say, yes, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. That's why I'm trying to share with you the love of Christ is that he wants to save you from your sins. But here it says that I can't rejoice at wrongdoing, but I want to rejoice in the truth. Look at verse 8. Love never ends. Now, the way that this camp right between these two people, where they believe that no gifts are for today, some gifts are not for today, some gifts are for today, it all is on this verse. So, no matter where you are in life, if you have grown up in a church your whole life and they've never talked about the spiritual gifts and they said basically they aren't for today, and you think, man, where did that come from? Where did that start? Most likely it started in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. So it's a very, very important passage to understand because... If the gifts are not for today, then we want to be obedient to Scripture and we want to say they are not for today. We, anything that is uh, happening um, that is said to be the gifts are not of God, and so we don't want to be a part of that. But if they are for today, then we don't want to be in this group that says this, I don't want any part of them. Because 
The Bible says that we, as the saints, we've come together, and we've all been given a gift for other people. And so I want to hopefully really, really prove to you that the gifts are for today because we have to understand how this passage works. We have to really look at it. Now, it might take some people um, a few days to figure this out, a few weeks, a few months, a few years. Because depending on how entrenched that you've been in your camp will determine, you know, how easy it is to give up how you've looked at verse 8. But let's look at verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So people say, right there, done. There's no more. It says right there. So the point of that passage is that at some point the gifts will stop. They will cease. They will be no more. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So the question that should be going off in your mind is, Rusty, what or who is the quote-unquote perfect? Because if you look back, it says, but when the perfect comes, the partial shall pass away. Now we'll get into this more, but let's keep reading. Verse 11. But when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So the question is, when is the quote-unquote then in verse 10 referring to? And what does face-to-face mean? Okay, so here's what's happening. Is that the passage is saying this. The gifts are going to end when the perfect comes. The imperfect, the gifts, they are imperfect. They will cease when the perfect comes. And then it goes and says, and then when the perfect comes, we'll see face-to-face. Okay. Now, the question is, what does or who is the perfect and what does face-to-face mean? Because if we can unlock those two, then we can determine if the gifts are or are not for today. Because here's the thing. All I want is to be biblical. And that's all I want you guys to do as well. The Bible says this, is that I'm going to give an account for you guys. As the shepherd of this church, I do not want to mislead you. So we have to really look at these passages carefully. And we have to unlock them carefully. So let's first try to figure out if there's anywhere else in the Bible that uses that term face to face. Turn to Genesis chapter 32 starting in verse 22. Genesis Chapter 32, or 20, chapter 32, starting in 22 to 32. Now I'm going to paraphrase most of it, and then I'll read it. Basically, it's when Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob wrestles with God. So there's a wrestling going on. 
Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was, hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Who's the him? That's what we need to find out. Verse 26, then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God. Who did he strive with? You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. I have seen who? Who did he see face to face? He, see, he saw God face to face. So we could see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this whole term face to face, it's the exact same wording as that we would find in Genesis chapter 32. And it's referring to God. It's referring to God. So with that term face to face, we know that it's referring to God. Wayne Grudem says that the example in Genesis 32:30 and Judges 6:22 is exactly the same Greek wording as in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12. Same wording. And here's the thing saints, we want to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Cuz if we just use just man's opinion to interpret the Bible, well here's the thing. What if the man is wrong? But if we can find in Scripture a way to unlock another passage, then we think, okay, I think there's something there. I think there's something there. I'm going to read you guys this quote. It's a little bit a longer quote, but I, I think it helps sum, up, sum it up. This is by Wayne Grudem. So we look back to verse 10, quote, but when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away, unquote. Here's a statement about the future at some point in the future. Paul says that the perfect will come and the imperfect will pass away or will be made useless. When will this happen? This is what is explained in verse 12. Then at the time of the perfect comes, we shall see face to face. And know even as we are known. This means that the time when the perfect comes must be the time of Christ's return. Therefore, we can paraphrase verse 10. But when the Christ returns, the imperfect will pass away. Or, to use our conclusion above, that the imperfect included prophecy in tongues, we can paraphrase. But when the Christ returns... Prophecy and tongues and any other perfect, imperfect gift will pass away. Thus we have in 1 Corinthians 13.10 a definite statement about the time of secession of imperfect gifts like prophecy. They will be made useless or pass away when Christ returns. And this would imply that they will continue to exist and be useful for the church throughout the church age. Including today and right up to when Christ returns. So here's, let me kind of say what he just said. Is that if we could see that face-to-face -face means God. And that the imperfect, 
the gifts will pass away when the perfect God comes back, then we can say that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, is referring to the return of Christ. The gifts will be no more when Christ returns. We don't need the gifts. The Bible says that they are imperfect. Remember, we saw that prophecy that we talked about in the New Testament is different than prophecy we saw in the Old Testament. Okay? It's man's words. God spontaneously puts something into a, man, into a man or woman's mind. And then they edify the church with that. It's to be weighed. So we know that it's not thus saith the Lord that we would have seen in the Old Testament. Because we are called to weigh it. We're called to check it. Make sure it's biblical. That's not what you did to prophecy in the Old Testament. And so here it's saying this. We have imperfect gifts now. Therefore, the betterment of the body. We will not need gifts anymore when we see Christ face to face. There's zero need for them. There's zero need for them. Now, here's the thing. This camp over here will try to say, now I don't want to put them down because I actually have, I've, I, I totally sympathize with that camp. I, I, I love people in that camp. One of my favorite uh, teachers is in that camp. I love him, John MacArthur. That's where he's at. I was actually drawn to that camp and I took on some of his views because I love him so much because I just, man, if, if he believes it, then. But the problem is, is that I, I couldn't defend the view. I couldn't defend it when I looked at scripture. But I wanted to defend it because I like him so much. And so my thing is, saints, is that no matter where you fall, the, your rock star preachers that are on the TV, if they're on this side or if they're over here, if they're in the middle, you just really need to be fully convinced by scripture. And so what happens is that some people on this side will say this. Listen, the perfect, that word perfect, is the completion of Scripture. Okay? So that the big argument is that when the perfect comes, the completion of Scripture, the imperfect, the gifts, will, they, they will not be needed. Or the miraculous gifts will not be needed. They'll say some of the gifts are not needed, all the gifts are not needed. But here's the thing, is that what is being said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? One of the guys I read says this, I mean, think about it. If this is being written in 50 AD, and we know that Revelation was written in uh, like 90 AD, is Paul really saying that in a short amount of years, the perfect will be here and then we'll know like we're known? Is that what Paul is trying to communicate? I don't think so. I don't think that you could see that in the text. And so if you think about it like this, why is this in here? Why did Paul develop love? Is he saying, listen, love is, you know, love is good. The reason why he put love in here is to try to show you that love will never end, but the gifts will end. And is Paul saying this, listen, love will never end, but in 35 years, all the gifts are going to end. That's how amazing love is. Love goes on even past 35 years. 
that's what this camp is saying. Man, listen, Paul is just saying, man, in 30, 40 years, man, love is just going to keep going past 40 years. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying this, love will never end. It will never end. As for these gifts, these imperfect gifts, they will end when we see face to face. Who face to face? When we see Jesus Christ face to face. The gifts will end. They will not be needed. Look in verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Greatest of these is love. So saints, that is what we're going to, we're going to wrap it up. That is what we wanted to focus on today, is that if you are in the camp of over here, and I love you, I'm glad you're here, this is not a tier one issue. Tier one issue is where we would have to divide over. Tier one issue is the virgin birth of, of Jesus, that Jesus physically rose from the dead, that he died on the cross for our sins. Those are the tier one issues. This is not a tier one issue. So this isn't something that we should divide over. We should strive over and try to figure it out together, but it's not something that we would want to divide over. Okay? So just know this. This is not a salvation issue wherever you land on this. But I hope, I hope, 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 hope that you'll be fully convinced by Scripture wherever you land. My hope is this, is that when you get alone and, and you read through this, and man, you can pray and you can look through this, and there's, there's, there's people that have devoted their lives to trying to explain things like this. You're going to find some people over here that you love, and you're going to find some people over here that you love. But I would encourage you, just, just make them prove to you with the text their position. And then you spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, I pray that you would give me wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. I want to be biblical. If the gifts are not for today, Lord, I don't want them. I don't want to be a part of them. If they are for today, Lord, help me to look at them biblically. Help me to look at them biblically. That is our goal. Saints, I believe that the gifts, the way that we see them in Scripture, I don't believe this way is right. Because what happens is that when you start to insert meaning into the text, it's called eisegeting the text. You're inputting your own thoughts in the text. That gets very, very dangerous because then who becomes the master of interpreting Scripture? You do. You insert your meaning into what you want it to say. The Bible says this, or what basically a good principle is on how to interpret Scripture is we want to figure out the authorial intent of the author and we want to look at the context. We want to take what is being said and we want to pull it out. We don't want to insert our thoughts in. We want to pull out God's thoughts from the text. Now, if you are confused, that is okay. Just stick around. I'm here for you. We'll go out to lunch. We'll go out to dinner. I'm going to keep teaching through this stuff. And all that I want is just for us to all be convinced with Scripture on wherever we land. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness.
Lord, we do want to be fully convinced in truth. But Lord, we are imperfect. We still have our sinful nature entwined inside of us, always trying to get us to mess things up and pervert things. But Lord, I do know that you love your church. You want what's best for your church. You will protect your church. You will purify your church. And so, Lord, I pray that everyone in here would be fully convinced of your truth on what your scripture says about spiritual gifts. Father, let it not be a boastful thing on one way or the other. We're called to love, 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 love. You say if people believe that the gifts are for today, but they have not love, they're a clanging symbol. They miss it. And so, Lord, I pray that this church would be seasoned with so much love. Even in disagreements about it, Lord, that there would just be dripping of gentleness and kindness and self-control and patience and mercy and grace. But, Lord, ultimately we want to rejoice in the truth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to guide us in that. Lord, I do believe that your gifts are for today. And so I ask that you would help us to use your gifts in a way that we see in Scripture and that is pleasing to you, that is orderly and biblical. Father, I pray that you would continue to bless your church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.